0: الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم من المؤمنين رجال صدقوا ما عاهدوا الله عليه فمنهم من قضى نحبه وَمَنْ هُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَظِرُ وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبْدِيلًا صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَظِيمُ Most respected Allah, my Islam, brothers and elders. As we have heard from the announcement, the topic is about a very great personality. Very briefly first, what is the need to discuss these personalities Our deen, in its pristine purity, was passed on by Rasulullah to the sahaba ikram. And then the sahaba, radiallahu they preserved it, practiced upon it, propagated it, and passed it on in its entirety to the tabi'een. And then the tabi'een passed it on to those who followed them, the tabi'een. And in this manner it went through the various stages and ages until Deen has reached us. Deen is not just theory, but Deen is application. The theory has to be applied. In the hadith of Rasulullah, there are numerous occasions when this was emphasized Sallu Nabi Sallallahu addressed the Sahaba, perform your salah as you see me performing my salah. One was the details of salah which Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi taught. But the instruction was that you perform your salah how you see me performing my salah. On the occasion of Hajj Chuzu Anni Manasikakum, watch what I am doing, how I'm fulfilling my rights of Hajj and learn it from me and take it from me. Perhaps you will not see me after this year, so learn it now. So this was the practical demonstration, application which Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi himself taught, which is the Sahaba learned from him in this manner, and then they passed on this application and this correct understanding. The correct understanding cannot come by merely reading something. It comes by learning it from people who have understood it correctly. Who themselves understood it from their teachers through the unbroken chain all the way up to Rasulullah. And if we consider that wherever there were very deviant groups that came into Deen and people who came and really brought in a lot of uh, totally alien things, you'll find that most of these people were people who had acquired their knowledge through self study. they had mastered Arabic for example, mastered meaning they became proficient to some extent, whatever extent it might have been. And together with that they had some other little bit of skill and ability in some things. So now they use that to try and now equip themselves without the aid and the help of a teacher. And a teacher also obviously an authentic teacher. So when they tried to do this, they went off very very far from the correct path. And they became the leaders of deviated groups. And this is very very prominent in very many aspects, many groupings that happened over time. There's no time to go into those issues. So this is the reason that these great personalities are discussed. That over the ages and over the centuries, those who were closest to us in time, in terms of where this legacy of the ilm of Rasulullah ﷺ and the Sahaba was passed on to us. They were these akabir and these great personalities and we discount them, take them out of the equation, we don't know where we'll finish off. Then there is a very great uh, ihsan they have made upon us. And as a result, it is only necessary that merely as a token of even just appreciation, let alone let anything else, that we should know who made this ahsan upon us. A person has made such great ahsan upon somebody, he doesn't even take the care to know who made this ahsan. So that's not befitting anybody. So that too is also a reason that we should be knowing who these people were. And moreover, for our way forward, we'll find such great guidance in their lives, in terms of they applied the Quran and Sunnah in such a clear, crystal clear manner, that we will get that clear understanding and application from them. So this is just a very brief introduction that what is the need to discuss these personalities. And from time to time there have been some discussions of various of the Akabir. So today we have this very great personality, Azat Ma'ar Ahmad Gangui, Rahmatullah who was among the real giants of the time. In the short time that we have, it is totally impossible to do any justice. That is, even if somebody was very well acquainted with all the details, he too won't be able to do justice. Somebody was hardly acquainted, what justice he will do. But nevertheless, we will barely just touch on some aspects. There won't be even probably too much of a sequence. But the whole idea is to just get some glimpse of who the person was and take some lessons, that's the main aspect. Some lessons from the incidents of their lives, which we should try to emulate and try to bring into our lives. As far as his, little bit of his biography itself is concerned, so he was born in this little town of Gango in, on the second of Zulqada, 1244, this corresponds to 1829. There's some, this is what's recorded in many of his biographies. This was the day he was born. From his childhood days, he was very different, never interested in playing around, always just in some kind of thought. He would just sit and watch the children, never be part of their game, so to say. They would try to encourage him, but he wasn't interested. He was standing aside, standing apart, so to say. And this is how he eventually, time went on. As far as his lineage is concerned, through 37 links, 37 generations up, he links up to Hazrat Abu Yub Ansari an, who was the host of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam migrated to Madina Munawwara. So he is an Ansari, Abu Yub Ansari an, This is where his lineage meets up. And three generations before him, he links up to his great-grandfather who was a very great personality, Sheikh Abdul Quddus gangoi Rahmatullah Was a person of a very high caliber, very great, Buzrug and Wali of Allah wa ta'ala. So with this kind of lineage, these great qualities were then obviously in the blood, and it just shone out through him. Allah wa ta'ala accepted him tremendously, <coughs> As he progressed after the childhood time, studying in his hometown, etc. At the age of around 17, he came over to Delhi. Delhi at that time, generally was the place where there was some advanced Islamic education taking place. Otherwise, generally, the Madaris, etc. that later on came into existence, that was nowhere to be seen. This was just in isolated places, and Delhi was one of these places where some advanced Islamic teaching used to take place. He was a very great alim who was based there in Delhi, Muram Mamluk Ali sahab So this was one of his main ustads. And then he studied hadith by the very great personality, Hazrat Shah Abdul Ghani Mujaddidi So these were just some pointers about his early life. And together with another very great personality of the time who had become his companion from that very time when he went to Delhi to study Qasim Nanuti whose life was discussed on one of the occasions the two of them were extremely intelligent bright students and as part of their academic uh, pro- progress they used to even discuss the various things between them various philosophical debates so to say on a obviously between students it used to be so deep whereas they were still studying at that time. That even the ustads used to sometimes, because it used to be after hours in the study time, the ustad used to come around and just stand and observe. They used to be so enthralled by this. And it used to be such deep intense points that used to be drawn out by each party. So in any case, this was the kind of ability Allah had blessed him with from his very early days in his childhood. Around 21 years old he was when he completed his former studies, came back to his hometown immediately engaged in teaching Deen, he did not have the opportunity of having done the hivs of the Qur'an Sharif prior to this. So in that time, on his own, because there was nobody to teach hivs, he began, while teaching uh, some students the various lessons of Deen, in his own time, he began making his hivs, doing his hivs, And in a very short time, completed the entire hives of the Qur'an Sharif on his own, and that year performed the Taraweeh Salah, lived the Taraweeh Salah entirely. So in this short time, Allah, Allah blessed him with the hymns of the Quran Sharif as well. There are many, many incidents about his study days and various other aspects in that time of life, but to just fast forward it to a much later time, one of the many great things that happened thereafter was, the time when he now moved on, and his Bayat to Hazrat Hadim Dadullah Muhajir Makki rahmatullahi this was the point where there was something that just suddenly took off in his life but now there's a very ajeeb incident that happened that became the means of this he was familiar with the personality of Hazrat Hadim Dadullah Muhajir Makki rahmatullahi, rahmatullahi he was a very great person and he had met him very briefly on one or two occasions before that but in the same town of Sanabon there was another Alim by the name of Sheikh Muhammad Tanvi Rahmatullah Alay He was a senior person There was some Mas'ala, some issue on which he had Written something Rahmatullah By that time, though he was still very young In his early twenties But his ability was such That whatever he had written, whatever he had spoken Had become such It was of such depth That people around The country started taking note of him and if he wrote some fatwa on something he wrote, it became like a kind of point of reference. So this was now, in this time, this personality wrote something, which in Guayr, somebody brought it to him. So he disagreed with that point. He said, look, this is not sounding right, this is not in order. And then he gave the view that he held in this regard with the lyle, with the proofs. So now this is a common problem unfortunately, that some people, their main task is to test, move things around, come on to the other, and then observe now, something to spectate. So now this person, whoever brought it, he took this back to Sheikh Muhammad So he saw it and he still disagreed. So he wrote something again. So when this came back, He thought, you know what, this back and forth. It would be much better if I went and just discussed this matter directly with him. But there was already some little sort of uh, strong views that were expressed from either side. So it was not something that was just so straightforward either. But nevertheless, with this in mind, he proceeded to Tanaborn, where Sheikh Muhammad Ali, was based. And Hadim Dadullah Hadir Makki was based in the same place. So when he went to Tanabon, it came to his mind that before I go meet Sheikh Muhammad and discuss this matter with him, let me go and also visit Hadisab, a great person, take his du'as. So he came, met him, and in the course of the conversation, Hadisab asked, that what brought you here? So he explained, this is why I've come. Now he was still a person in his mid-twenties at that time, early twenties to mid-twenties. But mashallah, he was a person of sound knowledge, very well grounded, very well versed. People have started taking note of his proficiency already. So in any case when he expressed what was the purpose of his coming that I have come to discuss this and it seems like this matter was already known to a point. So it was now not going to be just a very simple discussion, it's going to probably take a kind of tone of a debate. Not that that was meant to happen as a debate. But when he expressed this, Hadith Sahib said to him, ka He is our senior. You must, we have to respect our seniors. We can't go and debate with our seniors. It was something with perhaps that class with which it was said, whatever, now here there's somebody with all this fervor and spirit in him, with all that spirit of that youth as well, and that very just recently graduated, so that Josh of Ilm, and he's come determined all the way from Nangor to Daktanabon, which in those days wasn't a small journey, and often these things were by foot also. So He came with all this determination, and on this one statement was Hadi Sahib, Rahmatullahi, he immediately accepted it. He said, very well, if that's your command, end of the story. No debate, no discussion on the matter. And this affected his heart in such a way that he there and there requested that please make me bi'at. So in any case, the Hajj Shah first told him, no, you think about it, make istikhara. And after a day again, two days passed, then he asked him, no, no, I still have come, I still want to go ahead with this. Eventually became Bayad, and he remained, now he had come for one day. He remained right there for 40 days. Come for one day, and left after 40 days, and as he was returning, he was very ill. At that time, the walked along with him to a point, and then instructed him to ride onto the conveyance that was brought along for him, but out of respect he was declining to ride because now, as I was walking along until now it was becoming very difficult because of his weakness to walk. So he instructed me, no you right now and I'm going. And as he was leaving, he conferred him with Khilafat on that occasion as well. Now this was that very uh, big turn in his turning point in his life when he became associated with the Hadim Makki, Muhadi Alayhi. And on this note, this very, very great lesson. This lesson of adab. This lesson of adab of elders, of seniors, which unfortunately these things are fast dying out. That there's something called adab. There's something called respect. Let alone respect of those who are senior personalities yes. in the community, in the ummad. Even the closest levels of this adab too are now dying out. That somebody's my uncle, Uncle is uncle, there should be adab for him. When there's no adab, hardly much adab left for the father, there is going to be adab for the uncle. There's somebody's the aunt, Al Khalatu Mislul um, Nabi Islam says the aunt, the maternal aunt is like the mother. Nowadays all these are like equals. Forget equals, they're like lower than us. We will just talk to them anyhow, no consideration given. Now this was the first point, first lesson that came through, the lesson of adab and he wholeheartedly took it and this was now the turning point that thereafter many things happened in his life. Uh, many many things are involved in between but as the time is very limited we are going to skip many of the issues, just this is again, there are many detailed biographies that are available in English as well this one, we can read through this but just to get some glimpse we are moving ahead. At the time when he was still studying, this was still the time under, when India was under Muslim rule. When the Mughal Empire was still, to some extent, still surviving. And he was about 27 years old when this whole thing suddenly collapsed. It was in 1857, when the revolt took place in India against the British, who had now become completely, they had colonized the place, and this was a very major issue, very major incident. At that time, a jihad was declared by Zhajim Mahdi al Makki, and his associates, among those who were at the forefront of this was Zhajim Zadullah, Kangooi, as well, and they jointly fought in the battle that took place in Shamli, in which many great personalities became shaheed as well but in any case the English army became victorious over them and many had to just disperse but then they started hunting down one one person whoever had been part of this revolt and rebellion there's a lengthy history behind this when we discussed Azma, Hussein, Ahmad, Bandir, Ali, some time back the details of this were discussed and what atrocities were committed by the English in India at that time more than 200,000 Muslims were martyred out of whom 51,000 were ulama alone and from Delhi there's a place called Chandi Chowk from there all the way to kheber Pass distance of about 800 kilometers An English historian writes that there was barely one tree in this whole line of 800 kilometers distance which was not used to hang Samalim by the British Many were just executed by firing squad. Many were put to the gallows. Many were Allah forbid in such humiliating ways. They were uh, dealt with. Allah t'ala give them the highest stages in the akhirat. Some of them were burnt alive. What kind of atrocities were committed against them. So in any case in this revolt, because of Ali was also involved in there, they were warrant of arrest was uh, issued against him as well and they were searching high and low for him eventually after much difficulty he was finally because there were spies all over the place for barely a few rupees they were being bought off for a few rupees to spy so they would come look in every masjid they would be sitting anywhere and everywhere and as soon as they had the slightest idea of where somebody who is being searched for he is someplace Immediately, they would communicate this to the English government, to the police force, or whoever the people might have been. And the next thing, there would be somebody they tried to come and arrest the person. So, eventually, as a Gilmour, too, was arrested. And he was handcuffed, put into leg irons, and marched for many, many kilometers by foot to some prison. And then, they there taken to the Saharanpur prison. And for six months, he was incarcerated. For six months in very difficult, very harsh conditions. In this time of the six months, every day there were cases taking place against somebody or the other. And they were very superficial cases. Meaning people were being brought to court and just barely a few questions asked, found guilty, sentenced to death. Firing squad. Many were being banished to a place called, which is known as Kalapani, the Andaman Islands very remote island which India had sort of been owning at the time until the Japanese came and overtook it in the World War that took place thereafter. So there was a very harsh situation there. Extremely cold and remote place. Over time 80,000 people were banished to this island. And the English historians write that hardly a handful survived. They all would just perish there. So this was like taken for granted that this is going to be his fate as well. That in this time thousands, this was happening to thousands of people and the time came up after six months for him to come to court but Allah, Allah wishes to save somebody Then who can harm him he was brought to court so now the prosecutor is trying to now extract a kind of confession out of him. He asks him that you were also involved in the Mufsidin. Literally translated, the mischief makers. So his response very calmly, he said, Fasad hamara kaam nahi hai. We don't get involved in mischief, because there was a mischief in any case. But he just answered that, Fasad hamara kaam nahi hai. So now he changed the question. The prosecutor asked the second question, Did you ever take, raise arms against the English government? So he took his, his was in his hand. He held up his tasbih, this is my weapon. So now, the few other questions of this nature, the judge suddenly, out of the blue, he, he said, "There is insufficient evidence for the charge that has been placed against him. There's insufficient evidence, so therefore he's been discharged. The, the case is dismissed, and he is to be released." Everybody was shocked because, in the kind of situation that was happening at that time, where people with the slightest degree of, just not involvement, association, because they perhaps just overlooked somebody who was being looked for and they didn't give the information. They too were being uh, sentenced to harsh imprisonment and so on. And yeah, he was among the people who were the leaders of this whole movement. And Allah tala blinded this person, his thinking, whatever. And this was the judgment he gave. And as a result, Hazrat Kangooi was freed. So this is the time that he then came back to his hometown and started working among the people there. One incident that happened while he was in prison, when he came, he was in prison obviously for no valid reason, and but wherever these people went, it was not where they were, it was what they had to do. He immediately commenced starting to teach deen to the people in the prison, there were so many Muslims there, for whatever reason they were there, somebody had a different life initially, whatever. So he started working on them, encouraging them towards deen. So many started learning Quranshari for the first time in their lives. Many started coming, becoming acquainted with deen for the first time in their lives. They were Muslim, born Muslims. When this announcement came that now he's been discharged, so now it takes some process before the official release takes place. One prisoner began crying. I said, what are you crying about? Everybody else is happy, you crying. She so he says, I'm crying because my Qur'an Sharif is going to get left. Incomplete, meaning I won't complete the recitation. First time in my life I'm learning Qur'an Sharif and I've got a long term sentence here. When I'm going to ever make it now? Nobody else here to teach me. rahmatullah alhamdulillah, consoled him and said to him, you be rest assured, I will first make you complete your khatam of the Qur'an Sharif before I leave. Though the release has come, but I will not leave till you are complete. And he wait. He remained there for a few more months until this person had completed his Quran Sharif. Then he left. This was the spirit of serving deen. The spirit of self-sacrifice. In order to teach one person Quran Sharif. This was the extent to which they put the difficulty upon themselves rather than just let things pass. In any case when he came back, all these are incidents just in passing incidents that have happened, but all these incidents give us many lessons. When he came back to his hometown, now after this incarceration, time had passed, this was a very difficult year, six months had gone in that prison, and prior to that, there was so much of turbulence and whatever. Now that he came back, and there was this burning desire in his heart, that the name of Allah should be established, people should start learning the zikr of Allah, and this love of Allah must be thoughts to people. So there was this, which was once upon a time, the khanqa of Sheikh Abdul Quddus, Gangway Rahmatullah his great maternal great-great-grandfather, three centuries prior to that. And over time, it had become completely desolate. In fact, there was no sign of where the khanka actually stood. But just the ruins were lying all over the place. Some, uh, some of the material was here and there. So it was obvious that once upon a time some building stood somewhere here. But where exactly it stood, even that too there wasn't even any clear sign of it. That old piece of land had become a dump. People used to come and tie the donkeys there and they used to go to the river nearby and all the droppings and messings of the donkeys used to be there. So This was the condition of that land. It was a kind of what we may understand as a Waqf and it was part of his family Waqf. And it was in this condition obviously it was meant to be used for dini purposes so he decided to take this piece of land for the sake of now establishing a madrasa, a khanqa so with his own hands he got busy and then others came and helped along they cleaned out this whole land and then leveled it out and then eventually one small little structure was built on it and in a short time this place now completely uh, a new place altogether and Madrasa commenced immediately and this Hankah established, people taking Allah Tala's name. Allah, Allah, Allah Rasul is now being heard here and taught here. So any case, this as it got established, for years this was lying in this completely derelict condition. And now when it got established, there were some people of the same family who were related to him in some way also. And who were linked to this great Sheikh many years centuries had passed now, but they had become, so to say, they just took the legacy, meaning they inherited something that our great-great-grandfather was a great personality, so we just become great automatically. But now people would come and all kinds of, uh, with art used to take place there and so on, and these people being the so-called custodians of the place, they were known as Pirzadeh, they the lineage of the peers. So they would get all this income coming in this manner, and they would distribute it. So now they felt this as a threat. It must not happen that our whole business now gets affected. So now for years all this was just in total ruins, nobody bothered about it. When donkeys were messing the place up with their droppings, nobody was bothered about it. And now that Allah's name was being taken there, suddenly this became a threat so now they came and first in the town itself this kind of uh instigation started but this is not in order who gave him the right to now the start of this little place there and nobody he doesn't have this right to do this any case this as it normally happens when somebody wants to for some agenda or the other get something done so now you need some kind of uh some some excuse for it something to now latch on something to now jump on the bandwagon with, so this was used now, that hey, who gave him the right to do this and so on and so forth, eventually this thing grew in momentum and finally the time came, there is a lot of detail in between but just cutting the long story short, one day this whole, almost the whole community came, many not everybody and they somehow brought some of the seniors of the community who weren't too much interested in all this but they were forced to come along and said look, you had no right to do this, you just immediately leave from here. So, he tried to reason with them first, but when he saw that they, and prior to this, already some things were coming to his ears, that this is what's going on, but he had just kept quiet. When he saw that there's going to be no way that they're going to be taking any reasoning, so immediately, rahmatullah he told the students that were now based there, the house there, the madrasa was there, that look, all of you take your belongings, and move to the local masjid, because the local masjid was now open to them. So nobody say a word, immediately move. And he himself started picking up his thing. Now this is the the first sort of formal meeting for this issue. Prior to that nobody had approached him, nobody had come to talk to him directly one word. This first time round. But in order to avoid any kind of confrontation, any kind of, bickering, and fighting, and arguing, and whatever else, fine, you want it, keep it. And he immediately gave the instruction, the students took their things, they came along, the facilities in the masjid weren't so adequate, but he brought his own things as well, and came and sat out in the masjid. And he carried on with his work there. Some other people, family people from the city of Gango, this was more in the rural area outside. They came to know about it, they were very upset, but they realized that because he had given the instruction, nobody must say one word against anything, just keep quiet. They came and offered, look, we have far better facilities in the city itself, please, you come immediately, all the expenses of the madrasa and everything else, we will take care of it, you don't have to bother about anything, but you come immediately. But he declined it, he said, look, Allah will take care of everything. And I don't want to be in the midst of the city. This place is more conducive for the work that's meant to be done. So let it be. But Allah told her rules. Allah told makes in tizam. As a little bit of time passed, the seniors of the community started regretting what they did. Because this place now again became just completely dead silent. Which for centuries now, after Sheikh Abdul Qudus passed away, this has been in ruins for a long long time. And now for after maybe one or two centuries, Allah's name has been taken there and over nothing, this person was now expelled from here, he was removed from here, this was not right. And this discussion started among them. Again to cut the long story short, eventually the same people who were responsible for making him leave, they came to him and said, please look, whatever happened, forgive us, kindly please come." and take over the place again. First he declined, they started picking up all the things. They said, we're going to carry this back. Allah made it such that those who were responsible for removing him, they were the people who came and carried the things back into that hanka. I said, this is now going to be forever in your control. Nobody will have any say in the matter here. This is totally for you to do as you wish to run it. This is in your discussion now. But the lesson again in this, how he handled the situation. Whereas there were so many different ways of handling it. But the way he handled it, Allah Ta'ala brought it back with izzat. Allah Ta'ala brought it back with great respect and honor. And then the work continued from here in such a way that from the entire, whereas this was a small place hidden somewhere, but from throughout India, because of his proficiency and his mastery in the science of Hadith Sharif and in the knowledge of Quran Sharif and Hadith Sharif, etc., They started flocking here to be part of his dars. And as a result, many many great personalities came and studied at his feet. And moved on. And became great guides in the whole of the subcontinent. So this was where much of this happened. Then to just go further. He had, alhamdulillah, performed Hajj three times. But there were no means that he had. And each time, in a very amazing way, again there is no time for any of the details, Allah Ta'ala provided the means, and in this way, three times, Allah Ta'ala blessed him with the opportunity to go for Hajj. And in this time, many people benefited from him also. Many people became acquainted with his personality. This became a further means of people benefiting from him. One point on this note, what was his... However, we are just hearing about people beginning to respect him, honor him, take him in high regard. But what was the confidence that his own sheikh had in him? Hadith Radulah, Muhajir, Makki, Rahmatullahi, once there was one issue. Again, many details in it, we're not going to go into the details. But there were some aspects which were had become kind of controversial. And the controversy was between people who were all related in some way or the other to Hadith Rahmatullahi. Eventually they somehow got him to write about something in this regard to give some kind of direction. And the people who sort of pushed for this were those who were on the opposing the view of Prophet Muhammad, alhamdulillah in this regard. Because he had written something very very clearly, strongly in the, in the matter as well. So they were pushing for this and they were very very confident Hadith Saav ali is going to write strongly against Hadith Gangoyi Rahmatullahi. In any case, to get to the point that we were actually discussing, whatever the issues were, he very, very, in a very basic manner just explained certain things there. And at the end of it, at the end of it, he wrote some things, he said, look, I am emphasizing this, that people should regard Maulvi Rashid Ahmad Gangoyi as the something is a great treasure in India, And then further down he says, actually himself and, he was referring to Allah, they are in my place and I am in their place. What he meant by this is, they should actually have been the sheikh, I should have been the murid. This is the Taliban of the person I am talking about, he is actually in my place, meaning he is the murid, that's my place, I should have been there. And I am in his place, I am the sheikh, he should actually have been in my place. This was the extent of the confidence that he had in him. And on one occasion he wrote in a letter to him that this is my dua. This is my dua that Allah Ta'ala keep me living and dying in the muhabbat of you pious people. That I actually have hope in my najat through your association. So this was the extent of confidence that Hazrat Hadith Sahib had in him and with that dua that he received from his sheikh and that uh, attention that he got, Allah t'ala took him to great heights. This was just some little sketch of his life and some things, but just to now, without any sequence, just to go into some incidents in his life, which will, inshallah, some aspects about his character, etc., which will give us some idea of the greatness of this person. Just a very brief background about the time that he really was at his prime. As we just understood just now, earlier, this was a time when the whole Mughal empire collapsed and then this jihad took place, at that time there were so many things happening and when the British had come into India in full force, they had actually given rise to many deviant groups to cause this breakup in the ummah, to cause this disunity and friction and this has always been their modus operandi, divide and rule. And this is still carrying on till today. This is the way that they've always tried to overcome who they wanted to. So this is the way that they put people up to cause this divide and rule to, to go ahead with this divide and rule policy. So This was a time that there were numerous groupings that started raising their head in this time. On the one side it was the Qadianis that started suddenly becoming active. The Shias, no time for any of these details. The Shia had become very active. Then there was this group that suddenly started off, out of nowhere, the غير مقلدين. And they made the Hanafis, the Hanaf, the target To the extent that some started calling this Taqlid, following an imam of Fiqh, calling it a Bid'ad, some started calling it even Shirk, and some made it Kufr. And this became a very contentious thing. And then there were the 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 tsunami of all the other evils that were going on, what thought was happening, people were far away from deen, people were involved in so many bid'at and whatever else. So, every direction there was some fitna. And now he had become a kind of central figure. And people, let alone the ordinary people, even the ulama of the time, were looking for guidance from him. When he said something, they got their direction. So As a result, he became the target for anyone and everyone who was on the receiving end. And there were so many major attempts made at trying to, in some way or the other, put him down, to the extent that there were false accusations made against him to the English government, to try and silence him in some way. But with Allah, wa ta'ala, words, Allah ta'ala wishes to protect somebody, none of these, these things had any effect, and he very quietly continued with his work, but without any fear of anybody. And at the same time, he took no notice of all the baseless criticism, abuse, whatever else. He never ever even uttered a harsh word against any of his opponents. Once one person, who was the leader of one faction, very very vehemently opposed to the rahmatullah people, this person used to write book after book, full of vulgarity in rahmatullah ali He happened to get very sick, and he picked up leprosy. And at that time, there was no treatment for this also. It was now the death knell was already, so to say, sounded for him. So somebody in a kind of happiness, he came to El Gumb and he said, "Oto and he was like, in saying it in a kind of joyous manner. I got very upset. He said, Kisi ki musibat par khush hona, ye bilkul hai. How can you ever express happiness at somebody else's misfortune? Now, who's the person on the other end? The person who had repeatedly been writing vulgarity against him. He saying, you are showing happiness at somebody's misfortune. How can you do this? And what do you know? What is in somebody's taqdeer?'" You have no idea what's in your own taqdeer for tomorrow. You get be happy at somebody's misfortune, what do you know something will fall upon you? And how do you know whether his life might turn around tomorrow? So he didn't even allow, forget saying something himself, he didn't even allow somebody else to express happiness against his adversary. In fact, on one occasion, Hazrat Maulana Yahya Khandelwi, who was his khadi khas, his special attendant, the father of Hazrat Shaykh al-Hadith Mawazakiriya, And he used to do all the correspondence and so on. So one day he says to him, that this person, the books he's written, read it out to me also. Bring it out to here, read it to me. I can't do this. You want me to read this book out to you, I can't do it. Why you can't do it? This is filled with all kinds of vulgarity. He's swearing you all the time, how come you expecting me to read it to you? Say, door ki kaha hai? Say, somebody is swearing from far off. Why are you worried about that? Meaning what effect that does it have? Let me hear it. And I will reflect over whatever he has stated. If there is something that is worthy of being taken, I'll take it. Now somebody who has been repeatedly spewing out vulgarities. But this was the extent of the ikhlas and sincerity that that is prepared to still listen to what the person has said think over it, ponder over it he overall knows that this he doesn't agree with anything that this person has said generally and he has already heard it, much of it, but now, man let's listen one more time, maybe somewhere down the line there's something he said which is correct, we'll take it now this can only come from somebody who deep down in his heart is only ikhlas only lillahiyat his heart is filled with only the concern that Allah ta'ala must be happy and there's no nafsaniyat in it Otherwise, let alone somebody spewing vulgarities, somebody just didn't even give us the kind of respect we thought we deserved. He respected us, but being not to the extent we thought we deserved, that too becomes a reason to now cut off complete ties with the person. This person insulted me. He didn't meet me with the kind of warmth and respect I thought he'll meet me. And here this person is spewing vulgarities. He never ever took any offense personally at anybody's harsh words or anything, sometimes there were letters that were written to him, all kinds of vulgarities, so now he would just in passing mention now, okay somebody else has written something, and maybe mention one or two things on this, uh, or just mention in general this person has written a lot of abusive things, so somebody said let me see the letter also, he tore it up, he tore it up immediately, he said you gonna read it, my friends will get pained about this, I read it already, it's fine, no need, why should I cause my... Now because out of the muhabbat, they will read that this person wrote these kind of things about our sheikh, our Ustad, so they are going to feel very hurt about it, so I give you the pain. Now Generally, the issue is the opposite. If somebody said something about us, somebody wrote something about us, then we will definitely tell it to everybody, but not as it came. It came without the masala, there will be definitely all the masala added to it. And if some spices are not available locally, it'll be imported. But it'll be made as spicy as possible. Otherwise, then we won't be able to get whatever mileage out of it. And here he said, "No, I won't even allow you to read it. Why must I allow that my friends to be pained by somebody else abusing me?" He took it and toyed up. This also highlights the humility of the person. He thought himself was nobody. If somebody said some harsh word against me somebody said something, why should I take note of it? a person who truly has humbled himself, he's is truly humble he has this tawazu deep down in his heart these things just bounce off it doesn't have any effect, because he feels I am nobody when a person feels I am somebody I am also a few grams worth that's why you will find everything on instagram about me because I am also a couple of grams worth so now this is the zamana we are in everything is part of this it's so a amount of show of media. The social media by and large is so show of media. That everything must show up about. If you got nothing to show-off, you have to make up something to show up about it. And put it on social media, so everybody must see, and then we must try and find out now how many people like me, how many have liked something, and how many followers I have. So the whole thing has become a show of media. So these people's life was very different. They had the spirit of that deen, the tawazu was in them. See, all these things, why should I even... And this humility and tawazu, this was not just a, a thought in him, it was part of his condition. It was flowing in his veins. He is the sheikhul al of the time, He's teaching hadith to the students. It was a hot day and in the courtyard he was teaching hadith sharif. And now sometimes it happens that out of the blue suddenly it starts raining. So it happened that suddenly out of the blue it started raining, it was a clear day. And this lesson was taking place in the open. And out of the blue it started raining, so now the natural reaction, everybody got concerned about their kitabs, mustn't get wet. So immediately everybody grabbed their kitabs and ran under the shelter, under cover. And when they all just came away, because this was now just in that everybody in that rush, quickly picking up the kitabs and coming, suddenly they realized that, where's is not... Then they turned back and see, he was busy gathering all the students shoes, that this is going to get wet also. While everybody was saving the kitabs, he was gathering their shoes, being their ustad. But this was like a natural reaction, because he thought this is what I am worth. Though he was beyond what the imagination was. But when this is deep down in the heart, these are natural reactions. One used to have some time to prepare and plan of how can I present myself as a very humble person, but that that is very short lived. The occasion comes when the reality comes out. And these were the occasions brought out these people's reality. There was tremendous sabr this sabr and tahammul from some of these incidents we can understand to what extent Allah Taala blessed him with these great qualities. On one occasion, just in the same light, one person who had written again a lot of abusive things, many abusive things, he got imprisoned on one charge because he had done something really way out. Whatever had happened, got imprisoned. When this message came, spontaneously, the only thing that came out of his mouth was "Inna Lillahi wa Inna Whereas people outside were almost rejoicing about it, but this was the the only thing that he utter, uttered: that "Inna Lillahi wa Inna Lihiraduun." In terms of his personal character, he was a person who while he was not ever, he never took any stand for himself but in the line of deen when something about deen was being trifled with, then he had no fear of anybody, nothing could stop him from expressing the truth, there were threats made against him whatever the case was but he was fearless in that regard and nothing could come in his way in expressing what the truth was. Apart from that, there was a person who was of a very quiet nature. He couldn't really bear a conversation that didn't have any deeni benefit in it. If he had to be somewhere and people started talking something which didn't have any deeni benefit in the conversation, it became a very huge burden. And there would be something that he would start then explaining about deen to make people in some way benefit them. One very... Noteworthy thing about him was his concern for his salah. Concern for salah, one of the aspects in his room there were several clocks, not one, several, a personality of this nature. Several clocks, and in that time perhaps the clocks were not so accurate as they are nowadays. So there was a sun dial that was erected, that was made and the sun dial was in the room now with the shadow, you'll get to know exactly when it's midday. So every day without fail at midday, those clocks would be then reset to make sure it's on the dot. So that as soon as the time of salah comes in, then the preparation of salah must start immediately. So daily these clocks, now there were several clocks, the alarms would be set on it. And every day at 12 noon on the dot, when the shadow will be, these sun dials used to be common those days, that's the time now you can get exactly what the time is, day on the dot, the clocks would be then readjusted, if anything has now mo- lost some time or gained some time, which was a common thing in the clocks of that time. Then together with that, on one occasion there was some jalsa somewhere, and after this Talk had been given now. He's making his way to the masjid, and there was this crowd that surrounded him to start meeting him and greeting him. And he's trying to make his way out of this crowd, but by the time he got to the masjid, the salah had just commenced. In any case, the salah was over. After the salah was over, he was seen seated in tremendous grief. Deep grief. So somebody Saw him in this condition, came to him, something has happened, what's the problem? So first, he didn't say anything. When they persisted, he sighed very deeply. He said, Today, after 22 years, I missed my Takbir After 22 years, I missed my first Takbir. Sometimes you might wonder whether in the past 22 Salahs, how many we made it for Takbir 22 years, Allah Ta'ala blessed him with this and this situation that came beyond his control just delayed him. But sometimes Allah makes this happen to expose the secret so that others who will come later like us we will take some kind of lesson out of this. This was the extent to which he was so conscious of his salah. Right till the last he would come with the assistance of two people when he got very ill. Two people would help him, support him to walk and come to the masjid and perform salah with jama'ah. Not just perform salah with jama'ah as long as he could stand with the support of two people on either side, he refused to perform his salah sitting. When others would say to him, if this is not the condition in which it is permissible to perform salah sitting, when it will be permissible? He said, well actually if a person has somebody to help him standing, then he is also able to stand. Whereas this was not the fatwa, this was a level higher than that. The fatwa was under these conditions, you can sit down. But his kamal and his level was such that he felt it that I have people to help me to stand, so why should I sit and perform salah? Right till the last, barely the few days before he passed away, when he got very very ill and very weak, until that time this was his standard procedure, that this is how he had conducted himself. Just one very ajeeb incident took place, Again, as I mentioned in the beginning, there is no sequence of all these incidents, but there is the no lessons in it. At the time when he was now teaching the students, so people were coming from different places, there were no arrangements and facilities like a proper boarding and all the arrangements of food and whatever else. So the students would be living there, he would make arrangements in people of the area who would volunteer, okay, one student or two students food. I will provide that. So it used to be normally one meal a day, maybe. One meal a day, I will give it. What will be the meal too? It would be like one roti and maybe whatever some thing they do they would have had. So one of his own relatives home, they had taken on the responsibility of one student. So one day it just happened, and the arrangement was that this person would go to that house and fetch it and bring it. So he happened to be just outside and he saw the student coming. He saw him coming with this roti in his hand, just just like that, open. So he saw him and he asked him, where are you coming from? He said, certain place, certain house. So he said, as of tomorrow, you don't go there to fetch your food. And your food will come from my house. Then he sent a message to that house. What you thought about him? You thought he's just some other beggar? And you gave him that food like that, like how you'll give some beggar, just uncovered, without any etiquette. Did you just give it to him thinking that he is in need of you? No, no, you were fortunate that Allah was making you the means, but now that you disregarded this honor, you are no more going to have this opportunity. And Allah is his provider also, Allah will provide for him. So you forget about it now. But there was an elderly person, elderly woman in this house, who was also part of his extended family. She came rushing to his house and to his family, and pleaded, please, this was our terrible mistake. This mistake will never ever happen again. Please allow us to continue with this. When he saw the genuineness and sincerity in this regret of having dealt with the student in this manner, he said, okay, very well, will don't let this happen again. On the one side, the lesson was to the students and to the people of Deen, don't degrade yourself. Only something in an honorable manner, well and good. Don't degrade yourself for dunya. And they listen to the others. Don't look down upon the people of Deen. You don't know what becomes the ne- the situation if Allah turns the tables around. So, in any case, this was his ghairat. This was his self honor at the same time. It was not that well. Okay, this person is doing me a favor, so let it happen, and doesn't matter. I will just let it pass. No, this was disrespect to a student of Deen. He his ghairat and honor couldn't tolerate this, and he didn't allow this to continue. He immediately took this kind of action. But when they, he saw the regret and remorse in them, then he allowed it to continue again. Just to, round of the time has already passed, but just one very important aspect in his life, he was extremely punctual on his ma'mulah. We talk about these great personalities, subhanallah, what position and status they reached, and what, what they did. But this was not just something happened out of the blue, they didn't make any effort about anything, it just went on. These people did a lot. There was a lot behind the scenes that were happening. The car is flying at a speed that aircraft is flying high up in the air and the jet is taking off. All that is visible that car is going and that plane is flying and the jet, that space shuttle is taking off. But behind it, that fuel is not visible. That fuel is hidden in the tank. But is that fuel that is eventually fueling it, that is giving it that power. So likewise, these people were flying. But there was some fuel in there. And that fuel was this link they had with Allah, ta'ala, this ruhaniyat that was coming. And this ruhaniyat and spirituality was through the amal that they were very punctual on. The taqwa, etc. was all been enhanced further by these amal. His ma'amulat, he would go to sleep after Isha for a while, then wake up, and then... He would perform very lengthy rakats of tahajjud. After tahajjud, he would commence with his zikr. And other ma'mulat, all the way up to fajr. After fajr, all the way up to ishraq. After ishraq, he would commence immediately with teaching the lessons. So, there wasn't any, any breakfast that used to take place. In his program. Now, from early tahajjud time, and lengthy rakats of tahajjud, Many Paras he would recite of the Quran Sharif in that time. And then his Tasbihat and Zikr all the way till Fajr. After Fajr, continuing with everything all the way up to Ishraq and past Ishraq. The biograph is right, roughly till about 8-9 o'clock. And then he would immediately commence with teaching the Ahadith lessons and so on. All the way up to about 12 o'clock. And at that time he would have his lunch. Then take a short rest. And then would be Zuhar Salah. After Zuhar Salah was his time for his Tilawat of the Quran Sharif. One was that he used to recite in tahajjud. This was a time for reciting from looking inside the Qur'an Sharif. So he would then make tilawat for, for two paras or something. And then would commence immediately teaching hadith again all the way up to asr. After asr used to be a general majlis all the, time, all the way up to maghrib. After maghrib used to be his Awabin salah. And after he's completed reciting two paras or three paras in his Awabin salah. Then he would go home and have a light meal. And then isha and then whatever for the night. This was his daily program, and for the 10 years that he was based there in that Khanqa and even after that, but these 10 years were almost non-stop here, this was the daily routine, together with all the other work that would take place in between, the correspondence that was now flooding in because so many people were now taking advice from him, guidance from him, for their dini progress, and great ulama and mashayikh were turning to him, So all that correspondence that was now needing to be responded to, together with that he had become a reference for Fatawa. And when there would be some difference of opinion between Muftis, they would then resort to him for a final view in the matter. So this would be now very very intense research that was required in that. All this had also become part of his daily program and this was the day and night that he used to conduct his day, his, manner in, his, his day and night was conducted in this way, all this was contributing to this great ruhaniyat that he had which then saw this great benefit reaching far and wide. This is we haven't even probably touched normally they say didn't touch the surface we didn't even touch the surface of the surface and who can ever do any justice to these kind of personalities, but we've already overrun the time the whole idea as mentioned right at the beginning was to get a very brief glimpse of who these people were. They didn't just come and go, they put their lives on the line, literally put their lives on the line to serve deen. And to uphold the pristine purity of Islam, to remove all the cobwebs that people had brought in over time, bring deen in its pristine purity back, and the amount of service they did to deen in every field, not confined to just one particular line every field they were at the forefront of it and as a result they preserved islam this is what then came down to us allah tabaarak wa ta'ala elevate their stages allah tabaala grant them the highest stages in akhirat allah tabaala give us the tawfiq of following in their footsteps and also bless us with that same spirit and zeal wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahirabbil alamin may go inshallah allahumma lakal hamdu kulluhu wa lakash shukru kulluhu allahumma la nafsina 'alayka anta kama asnayta 'ala جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك وَلَا تُخْزِنَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّكَ لَا تُخْلِفُ الْمِعَادِ اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأمتنا على الإيمان واحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان يَا مُقَلِّبَ الْقُلُوبِ ثَبِّتْ قُلُوبَنَا عَلَى دِينِكَ يَا مُصَرِّفَ الْقُلُوبِ ثَبِّتْ قُلُوبَنَا عَلَى طَاعَتِكَ اللهم اهد سيدنا اللهم Mahdi امه سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم Muhammad امه سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اغفر سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم فرج الكرب عن امه سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم انا نسالك من خير ما سالك من هنبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك من نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم انت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوه الا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه المعين الحمد لله